Let's begin with a word of prayer tonight. Father God, we come to you tonight, and as your people, we want to lift up um, the people who were impacted this week by the shootings in Florida, those ones who lost people they loved, those ones who went through a terrorizing experience, whether in the school or having those who loved them in the school. And Father, this has happened too often in our nation, and this is confusing us, and at times dividing us, and times filling us with fear. So, Father God, we do what we know to do. We come to you and we just lift up this situation. We pray, Father, that you will bring us together as a people and as a nation to find solutions to speak to all the issues, to create safety for our children and for all people. We pray, Father, that you would hear the prayer that your son taught us to pray, that you would deliver us from evil, because what happened was profoundly evil. And so, Father, we just come to you, we call to you, and we ask you to make your presence and your comfort known in a supernatural way, in a divine way, over that entire community as we lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the book of Esther, and it's kind of an ironic thing that we're at the place where we're at tonight, because uh, what we're actually going to speak about tonight is evil. There's still such a thing as evil. There are evil people, there are evil times, there are evil decrees, evil laws, evil attitudes. And what are we supposed to do as the people of God if we find ourselves in an evil season? Whether it be in our families, our jobs, our societies, our culture, our world. Because one of the things that the scriptures teach us is that um, evil is alive and well and pokes its head up all the time. And that actually is one of the things that we need to understand about the book of Esther. You know, uh, last week I touched on just a little bit ago, a little bit, that whenever Hollywood or authors get a hold of this book, they have a tendency to make it kind of farcical or romantic or something like this. That should not be how we understand this book. This book is a life and death struggle against evil. And, and it's, it's, it's meant to inspire us in whatever generation, whatever time we find ourselves in, to find courage and wisdom in whatever time we live in when we face deep and profound evil. You may remember, as we've been talking about the book, this is a book that God is not mentioned one time in the book, but God is everywhere in this book. And very often during seasons, when it seems like evil is just growing strength and the people of God are about to be overcome, God seems very distant and very absent. And, and so the author wants us to see the hidden hand of God. And this, is, of course, is the story we've learned about this, these two people, Esther and Mordecai, who are part of the people of God, the Jewish people. And they are in just a very difficult time, a time when they're under persecution. They've been taken away and exiled from their homes. It's a time where, where they're marginalized, where they have to hide their identity, where they live in a lot of fear because they're in the, the nation where the person who's ruling the nation, the king, is not a good king. He's not the kind of leader that we wish we had who looked out for the good of the common people. Instead, he's a selfish, drunkard, and a person who's easily manipulated by those around him. And what we're going to see tonight is that in the midst of this story, 
God uh, puts Esther in a crucial position so that she and Mordecai can work together to protect the people of God during a profoundly evil time. And we're going to see that story even tonight. We're looking tonight at um, Esther, um, and it's in chapter 3, and we're in verse 1. Now, you remember what's happened so far. Uh, The king has uh, sent his first wife away, and Esther has gone through uh, this, this challenge, and now she is become the queen of the Persian Empire, and she has landed, she has survived. And, and I might say that the, the way she survived was actually quite courageous. And now Mordecai and Esther are just trying to survive. Well, there's a development that happens that's going to cause Mordecai to have to change his stance and take a stand, and we'll see. Let's take a look. In verse 1, it says this. It said, after these things, King Azaris, or Xerxes, some translations say, promoted Haman the Agitite. Now here's the deal you need to understand about Haman. Haman is an evil person. He is an evil person. Now now there there are people who are foolish. The king is foolish and accidentally and at times unknowingly does wicked things. But Haman is the kind of person who's at a different level of evil. He knows the things that he are doing is evil. He is calculating and manipulating about it. And he does it anyway. And he does it with pleasure. And he does it with glee. Haman is an evil person. Now, now immediately, we, we need to recognize that his name's important because it says he's Haman the Agatite, son of Hamatha, and he was advanced and set, uh, and set his throne above the officials who were with him. So, so he found the favor of this foolish king, and the king gave him authority. And now he is, he is one of the main officials in this empire. Now, what you need to know about this guy by the name of Haman is that he represents a people who have an ancient hatred towards the people of God. He is Agite, which means he was the son of a guy by the name of Agag. Agag in the Old Testament was the king of, 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 of the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are the ancient people who are constantly at war with the people of God. When the children of God, for instance, escaped from Egypt, the very first nation to attack them, to try to wipe them out before they ever got started, were the Amalekites. And that's where this guy comes from. And later on, there are stories where, where the, the, the children of Israel are being raided and they're at vulnerable times. And, and the king of this nation, again, Amalekite, it shows up over and over again. In fact, there's a prophecy about this people where God has said, these people are going to be the sworn enemies of God and his people from generation to generation. These are the original Canaanites. These are the people who have an ancient hatred towards the people of God. And, and so they've been trying to wipe them out for hundreds and hundreds of of years. And now one of their leaders, one of their officials, probably uh, the, the main person of their clan has been promoted to a position of authority over the entire empire. And Mordecai sees this. He sees that he and all the people who are with him, probably friends and family and, and the people who are close to him, have been promoted. He says this, now verse 2. And all the king's servants who were with the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman and the kids the king had commanded concerning him. So the king, because he was just really interested in, in making people like him, he said, okay, now Haman, you're going to be my, my, my top guy. And whenever you go through the city, I'm going to have everybody bow down to you. 
I'm going to have everybody come and bow down to you. Now, now, here's the thing you just need to consider about this, is that this probably is a temporary situation because the king is fickle, and he might pick a, a new uh, advisor any day of the week. And very, very similar to our days is that there are all kinds of new fads and all kinds of new things that become popular, and the temptation is for us to bow down to them But understand, it's a temporary thing. And so here's Mordecai. He knows who this is. And he knows that this is an evil person. He knows about the ancient animosity between them. And this is what it says. It said, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to them. Now here's what you need to understand about Mordecai. Mordecai is the exact opposite of the king and the exact opposite of Haman. He is a person who is known for his wisdom and his compassion and his courage. He is the person, he is now, he is the kind of leader that is more concerned with others than himself. And whenever a leader like that rises to power, it's just a gift from God, isn't it? It's a gift from God. Well, here's, here's Mordecai now. He, he refuses to bow down. So just imagine standing in the street, and here comes Haman, and everyone's declaring, behold, here comes Haman, and everybody goes, okay, here we go. And they, they kneel down, and they bow down, except for one person who's not going to bow down, and his name's Mordecai, and he's just standing there. Maybe his arms are crossed, maybe he turns his back, maybe he walks away, but he's not doing it because he recognizes that this man is evil. He represents a sworn enemy of his people, and he represents just evil that's going to come upon the kingdom, and you'll see it in just a minute. See, Mordecai is the opposite of that. You see his compassion in the fact that he took in Esther when her name was Adassa, and he protected her. You see that in the way that, and we're going to see even tonight, that he's willing to risk everything he has to protect his people. And at the end of the story, spoiler alert, just so you know, end of the story, he's going to actually gain all the power in the empire. And when you see what he does with it, it's stunningly different than the king or Haman. You see wisdom and you see the kind of leader that we want to have in these times. But right now, there's an evil king and an evil leader who are calling people to bow down to things that they ought not bow down to. Now look at verse 3. It said, The king's servants who were with the kings at the gate said to Mordecai. So remember, Mordecai has kind of like a minor position at the king's gate. He's one of the officials there. And all the other guys who work with him are like, Why do you transgress the king's command? Go to get us in trouble, man. Verse 4. And when... They didn't say that, but you don't understand what they're feeling. Verse 4. And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to him. So basically they're saying, Listen, Mordecai, this is a temporary king. The king's going to change his mind. Everybody is bowing down to this, this guy. Just, just go with it, okay? It, it, you could just, why won't you do that? And, and, and they talked to him day after day. Well, finally, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's word would stand. Whether or not Mordecai would really take the stand that he's going to take. Whether or not he'd stick to his word. For he had told them that he was a Jew. So remember, he and Esther have been hiding their identity at this point. He's now public. I'm a Jew. This is my ancient enemy. This is not someone. This is an evil guy. I have to stand against this. In verse 5, it says, When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down and pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. 
So this is the second time we see an angry guy. And when you have an angry, evil guy who has all this power, then it's, it's, it's this really, really scary time. Now, verse 6, he says, But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. That right there is just an indication that God's still part of this story. That he recognized that, that he didn't want to rock the boat, he didn't want to lose his position, but he wanted to come up with a plan to tear down Mordecai, but not only tear him down, but his whole people. Remember this ancient hatred. He said, so they had made known to him the people of Mordecai. Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of the king. And so here's the deal. The people of God, the children of Israel, had been scattered all over. And they were in small groups. And they were vulnerable. And they had been forced to speak their own language so that they couldn't assimilate into the culture. And all these people were vulnerable. And now he comes up with this plan. He says, I'm not only going to punish you, Mordecai, but I'm going to punish everything you love and everything that's important to you. I'm finally going to accomplish the, the, the thing that our people have always wanted. We're going to wipe you off the face of the earth. So what this book is about is it's about genocide. It, it's about uh, uh, the very threat to the existence of the people of God. And, and I hope you recognize that this has happened over and over and over and over again in human history. That there have been people who have come up against the, the, the people of God. There have been people who come up against the word of God. There have been ideas that have been put forward. And so if you're kind of sitting around looking at what's going on with culture and wringing your hands and say, oh no, this is worse than it's ever been before. No, no, God, they've got God up against the ropes on this one. Oh no, listen, God's got an Esther and a Mordecai waiting to show up in a way that's going to blow you away. Now watch this in chapter 3, verse 8. Making of a genocide. Then Haman went to the king, and he said, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Notice the vague details here. Their laws are different from those of every other people. All right, so these are troublesome people telling stories about them. And they do not keep the king's law so that it is not the king, it's not to the king's profit to tolerate them. And so he teaches them to be intolerant. And and notice once again, this king who is easily manipulated, this king who we're going to see in a minute is kind of a lazy king, just hears about, well, we need to get rid of these people. You know what? We just need to come up with someone to plan to deal with that. And, And this is what happens. Verse 10. Skip down to verse 10. It says, So the king took his signet ring from his hand, and he gave it to Haman the Agatite, and the son of Hamadatha, the enemies of the Jew. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you. Let also to do with them as it seems good to you. So he basically says, Here's a bunch of money. Here's my ring. You got the authority. Just take care of this thing. And so he abdicates his responsibility, doesn't find out the details, doesn't want to be bothered. And Haman gets exactly what he wants. And so what he comes up with is this plan. He actually throws dice and he says, okay, on this date, we're going to come up with a law, again, a decree. So it's going to come from the king. So not only now is the king just, you know, not in control of his own decrees that come from his own mouth. He's actually given that authority to speak on his behalf to an evil, wicked person. And basically it is, is that on this certain day, it's free season on any of the Jews. 
there's a law that says anybody can kill a Jew and take their stuff. Anybody from any part of the empire. Now, look what it says in verse 13. It said, letters were sent by couriers to all the king's providences with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is of Adar, and to plunder their goods. And so it's open season. And so all their enemies can mobilize and attack them. In addition to that, you can just... Take them and kill them because you can then take your stuff. And so it's a plan to wipe out the people of God. It's got the strength of law behind it. It's a wicked thing. It's interesting in how this chapter ends, or this section ends in verse 15. It says, And the king and Haman, look at this, sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Because here's the deal. Many of these Jewish people had become part of the the government and had become part of the organization. Daniel would have been included in these groups and and the people who followed during that time. And so the whole city was thinking, what's going on here? What does this mean? It was a terrifying thing. It was a scary thing. It was an unsettling thing because this crazy law was just handed down. And here's the king, and it's brought all this kind of confusion because it's a foolish king who has surrounded himself with wicked people And it's a time where it looks really poor for the people of God. You understand, right, that if if this plot goes through, well, then all the Jewish people get destroyed. And then Nehemiah never returns to Jerusalem and never rebuilds the wall. And then Jerusalem never becomes the great city that Jesus rode into. Of course, Jesus isn't Jesus because the people who were the descendants were Jesus were some of the people who were marked for this execution. See, there's always been a hatred towards the people of God. There's always been an ancient enemy. I hope you realize that that we, as the people of God, have an ancient enemy, right? We have someone who is identified from the earliest parts of the scripture as the one who will manipulate and twist and and has such a hatred for God and, and has such an animus for God that anything God loves this person, this being hates, and, and, and this person was the first tempter, and the first one to drag us down. This is the person who drags us down and, and uses the same tools century after century. He shows up over and over again. He's called the father of lies. He's called the one who is the serpent in the early parts of Scripture. He's the one who's described as the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. He's the one who who hates us with a ruthless hate. In fact, the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, describes him as the great dragon who is at war against the lamb, which is Jesus, and all those who are sprinkled by his blood. And so we have an ancient enemy who hates us. And every now and again, he rears his head up. And every now and again, people who he controls, people who have given in to, to evil, whether it be pride or greed or whatever, get into power, and it gets scary for the people of God. It gets unsettling for the people of God. Now, we have lived in a nation, a country, where, honestly, we haven't had to think about that a lot. But many places in the world, uh, the, the, the evil is institutionalized. And, and the people of God are under constant attack, constant pressure. And, and, and they're called to bow down. They're called to bow down to, to wicked things. And it takes an enormous amount of courage to be a person who doesn't bow down. You see, here, here's the thing we need to understand. That, that we have an enemy who's working hard to destroy us. He hates you. He hates me. He hates our children, and he is coming after them. Now, here's the thing we should understand 
first of all, there's many things that will comfort us in this, but one of the things to remember is, first of all, is that he's actually just using the same things he has always used. And what he has done is he has brought forward these, these things that he always calls us to, and he asks us to bow down to them. And, and so the, the message for us this weekend is ask ourselves, what are we bowing down to? So, for instance, one of the things that he brings into our life that is meant to destroy us is, is for instance, sexual immorality. So, so we have the evil one who will call and he will make it just that everybody is bowing down to sexual immorality. Hey, whatever goes, goes. And, and it's all about pleasure. And it's about you defining and your choice. And it's all up to you. And everybody will be bowing down. And as followers of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, am I going to bow down to this? Now, now, let me just warn you that if you decide, if God speaks to you about something that everybody is endorsing is good and you recognize as evil, and you decide to be one of those people who don't bow down, you know the person who sticks out, right? It's the person not bowing down. It's the person who says, you know what, this is evil, and, and I'm not going to say that's okay, and I'm not going to endorse that, and I'm not going to bring that into my own life. And, and when you stand out and you stand out, the enemy notices you. And there will be people just like, just like Mordecai. Say, Don't you understand? Just bow down. Everybody's doing it. And, and what the heck? And when the evil recognizes you, there are times when, when you'll face pressure and persecution. Here's another example. Just one of the, the things that the enemy brings into our world. And everybody bows down to it. It's called greed. It's this, this pursuit of stuff to make us powerful or important instead of recognizing that the resources we've been given have been given to provide for our family and ourselves, certainly, but also to provide for the good and, 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 and too much can actually become really bad for us. But, oh, you understand, everybody's bound down. Everybody's going after. Everybody wants this. Everybody wants that. And, and if you say I'm not bound to that. Here's another uh, example. I got this, by the way, from a list in the New Testament. That it said these things will kill you spiritually and, 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 and lead to brokenness in your life. Gossip and slander. You know what gossip and slander is? It's this thing of hearing little bits of information that we kind of know, adding to it, and then repeating it. And it becomes slander when the things we say actually cause harm to a person's well-being. Where maybe it undermines their relationships or hurts their marriage or causes them not to get a job or to lose a job. When, when, we, when we say things we don't know and we just jump on, well, then, then we're bowing. Everybody does it. Everybody bows down. And we say, I'm just not going to be that person. We start standing out. We start being different. Here, here's one of the favorite things he loves to get us to bow down to. Fear. This thing of, of living out of fear, parenting out of fear, having our opinions formed out of fear and that which we would lose instead of faith and trust in God. And everybody bows down to fear and fear is contagious. And, and what our culture so needs is some people who aren't going to be defined by fear. Another would be anger, where, where we just find ourselves getting incensed about what we have lost. I tend to get very angry when things that are important to me are, are hurt, or, or rights of mine are stepped on, but not so angry when it's other people. How about uh, the, 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 the culture that we live in that is cheapening the value of life, right? And that's just, everybody's bowing down to it, that there's so many people in the world, and, and we see it in so many ways, right? We see it in our video games, right? They're about shooting and blood and blowing up. We see it in our, in our tolerance for violence, even in things like movies. I, I, I was watching a movie the other night with my boys. We were watching a movie, and it was, it was a space movie, um, and it, it was, it was um, about a lot of battles and war. 
But there was one part in the middle where a couple characters were, were trying to escape, and they were in a battle, and they started killing people. They just started killing people. And it was, it was done in such a way that it was meant to be funny, the way the people fell and the way people died. And I just found, I just got troubled as I was watching this because as I get older, I, have, I, I just don't have the tolerance for violence that I used to have. And I just saw, and, 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 and just more and more people dying and blowing up. And some of them were aliens, and I guess it was okay to kill the aliens. That's one of the tricks the enemy will do. He'll make someone other or alien or foreign, and if they're like that, then it's okay that, you know, their humanity is degraded. And I, I just started seeing just one person after another, and the, the heroes, of course, get out, and they are completely unbothered by the fact that, I don't know, 200 people were just killed. So in, in the space of like four minutes, I saw 200 people. And in a movie, blown up, and how amazingly comfortable I'd become with that. You know, um, um, we live in a country where life is degraded. We still have a country where over 3,000 abortions happen every year. We have a country where we have a profound inattention to the poor. We have a country where, where we, 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 we don't really know how to honor and care for the elderly. And, and, and all the world is bowing down to this, this thing where life gets cheapened and cheapened. We could talk about our, our culture. The same thing the enemy keeps calling us to bow down to. This culture of excess where we bow down to more and more and more. And we see it in addiction. And, and addiction is one of the most just deadly things going on kind of quietly around us. But not so quiet anymore, right? The meth that's going on. And, and that's the evil one who's trying to ensnare our children. And trying to kill them. See, we're still in the same battle that Mordecai and Esther are in. You see, the, the enemy who was behind Haman is the same enemy that we have today. And every now and again, he rears his head and, he, and, he, and he, he, he shows his face and evil becomes just easier to see. Well, let's see how Mordecai handles some of this in Esther chapter 4, verse 4. It says this. It said, when Mordecai learned that all had been done, that this plot against his people, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the midst of the city. Now, notice it didn't say he did that to pray, but certainly that is an aspect and an uh, Prayer would have been part of it. And he cried out loud in a bitter cry. Notice it doesn't say who he cried out to or that he prayed, but he cried out. And, and he's there, and, and he's, just, he's just broken. Because here's the deal. He saw the thing he couldn't bow down to, and he saw the evil, and, and, and now the evil is just rearing its head. And, and this has broken him. And one of the things that, that just really can turn our life around in the most profound way as followers of Christ is when we find the thing that breaks us. We find the thing that breaks us in the most profound way. Look what it says in verse 4. It said, When Esther's young woman and her eunuch came to her and told her what Mordecai was doing, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to Mordecai so that he might take off the sackcloth, but he would not accept them. And so he pushes off, pushes off this thing. He says, no, this has broken me, and, and it's just not okay that it's like this. And so... Esther sends a message, and, and then she starts communicating with, with Mordecai by messages. And, and he basically says, listen, Esther, we got to do something about this. you got to go to the king, because the king has given Haman this authority, and he's out of control, and the king doesn't really understand. You're really, you know, the person who, who, who needs to do something about this. Verse 12, it says, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. So what Esther had said is this, said, listen, 
I've worked really hard to get where I'm at, and I'm safe here. And there's a rule that if you go before the king and you haven't been called before the king, and he doesn't extend his, his scepter to you so you can touch his scepter, well, then you're put to death. He says, and it's been like a month since he's called for me. So you're asking me to risk everything, everything here. Now, verse 13, when Mordecai told the reply to Esther, he says, do not think to yourself that you're in the king's palace and will escape any more than any of the other Jews. He's basically saying the evil is there and the evil has to be opposed, verse 14. But if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such time as this. It was the time for them to stand. It was the time for them to, to make a difference and, and, and to oppose. One of the coolest things that happens in our lives is when God wrecks us on something. When we see something that's not the way it's supposed to be, and he just wrecks us on it. And, and for you, it might be something that I don't see, and for my thing, it, it, it might be you know, something you don't see, but, but, but that's the way God does it. He calls us to stand up and oppose evil. It's actually what makes the church so incredibly important, important throughout the, 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 the ages. That the church becomes the place where regularly and routinely we're asked to look at things we don't want to look at. We're asked to oppose things that culture is saying, yeah, that's just okay for, for the church to take stands on things that, that are just evil. Things like calling greed, greed, and, and calling immorality, morality, and, and, and calling you know, uh, uh, all these other things evil. So that we're not swept away and just find ourselves bowing down. That's why... We start the church. That's we are the church. That's why it's so important that we are here fighting for families at the church. You know, that's actually what the whole live it well thing has been all about. Uh, one of the things I want to do in terms of showing you a video this week is to give you an update on where we're at with live it well. And uh, just tell you where we're at in building the church, making her stronger so that we can be a place that stands against the evil. Let's take a listen. Last year, we launched Live It Well, and we were taken back by how many families stepped in and stepped up to the challenge to live it well. We launched the One Fund, in which we changed from a church with special offering and campaigns in which some of us gave to finance projects, to a church that calls all God's people to the practice of first fruits, which is giving God our first and our best in all things through tithes and offering as an act of worship. Now, at this point, we've had $7.6 million pledged over two years. This has allowed us to go forward with confidence as God has led us to expand ministry, increase share partnerships, and continue to develop this campus that will allow people to continue to take steps to know and become like Christ. Coming to Jacob's Well is awesome. And the music and the, and the camaraderie and the fellowship here and the message that we get, it's just beautiful. After completing the first year, we're on track with our giving and our plan, and we continue to be in awe of God's working through his people. This next year is going to be amazing, as we're expecting God to work in remarkable ways. So far, in year one of Live It Well, we've made financial commitments, and giving is on track. Because of this, we were able to purchase the 96 acres of land just north of our church without adding to the church debt. 
We continue to dream of all we will do with this property for families and for the community. We've also finished the Ministry Center, primarily from cash resources. This was possible because of the over $75,000 of savings from volunteers who worked to make the Ministry Center a reality. This summer, we will build our south venue, and our construction plans are finished and approved. Already a large amount of work has been done and completed. We have prepped the site, put in frost walls and footing, as well as made major prep for driveway, parking, and ponds. So, we are ready to hit the ground running with the spring thaw. In addition, we have revitalized small groups, our ministry to youth, care, and family ministry. We have also discovered a new and deeper commitment to the community and to our share partners and we've been able to greatly increase our missions and share budgets. And of course, we are planning to host up to a thousand partners from Builders for Christ this summer. We're excited about the direction of Jacob's Well right now. So far we've been on three trips for Builders for Christ. Working with BFC, there's this energy and electricity that's there from day one. Here, this is happening in our own backyard. This is an opportunity to come together, quite frankly, in fellowship, in building and expanding God's kingdom. We're in the middle of an amazing story, and we are not finished yet. We want to continue this exciting journey so that we can be celebrating this next year with an even more effective ministry, an expanded campus that will allow us to welcome more people from our community and increase impact with and through our share partners. We are going to ask you to remain faithful and for some of us to begin to become faithful to the tithe and to give an offering. When the people of God are obedient, the church can expand its impact into the community and beyond. We are going to ask those who have made a commitment to confirm their commitment so we know we are on track and we can continue to go forward with confidence. We understand people's situation may have changed. Some people may be able to expand their commitments as their situation is improved and God is blessed. We are also going to ask those who have arrived new over the last year and those who have not yet made a commitment to tithing and giving above their tithe to do so for the next 12 months. We are going to ask you to serve at Jacob's Well, helping the ministries to thrive over this next year. As we call all the people to meaning and purpose through a lifestyle of service, we are going to ask you to serve this summer with our friends from Builders for Christ as we work together to save over $1 million on our new ministry center through the work of volunteers. And we are going to ask you to pray. Pray for God to do miracles and to provide. Pray that Jacob's Well will be a church that lives up to her vision and that thousands of lives will be changed. Pray that we will make impacts in this community, this region, and this world. Pray that this is a healthy place where we meet people wherever they are on their journey. Pray that this place is a place that we can take steps together. Pray that this community and the people who live here will come to know and become like Jesus. Pray that those people in this community will be changed forever by the love and the power of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, the thing that 
is so important about the Church of Jesus Christ is that when it flourishes in a community and does the things that we try to do here, help people to have a living, active, real relationship of knowing Christ, and then helping people to model their life after Christ, what happens is that people start being developed who don't bow down. They don't bow down to the greed and the immorality. They don't bow down to the racism and, and all the other evil things that the enemy will use. We, we, we raise families that, that, that grow together and are strong together and raise kids who learn how not to bow down. A, a church that takes stands when no one else is willing to take stands. That's what the church is. That's why it's so important. And, and as more people, you know, come to know and become like Christ, as we're able to reach into so many of the small communities around, we can actually see entire communities bow down. When it's just not one person who won't bow down, all of a sudden there's another person who won't bow down, and there's another person who won't bow down, and there's another person who won't bow down. And, and at that point... Evil starts becoming afraid, and it realizes it needs to go, and it needs to hide again. See, this is the people of God coming together to be strengthened in the most wonderful way. Um, you know, several things uh, that illustrate this. I mean, you could talk about what we do with youth group, what we do with groups, and what we do in parenting journey and marriage journey and all the different ways we seek to equip and teach and disciple and right now meaning everything but one that's coming up that I'm especially excited about that I want to put on your radar is something called Hidden in Plain Sight. I think we've got a slide for it. Hidden in Plain Sight. Now what this is 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 a night, it's the same night as youth group, so if you are a parent, you just need to come. If you are a teacher, you need to come. If you are a leader in the community, you need to come because here's the deal, my friends. The drug academic drug epidemic in our community is out of control, and there is an enemy who is trying to kill your kids. I kid you not. I, I could not be more serious about this. And what we do, we have some experts coming in uh, from law enforcement, from the community, some people who have been through recovery. And in addition to that is we're going to be setting up what they call a mock room. And they're going to show you how to identify signs that drug activity is going on even in your room. So you don't become one of those parents where I had no idea. And so it's going to be an incredible night of training and equipping so that we as a church will say, you know, everybody just kind of seems okay with this drug thing. We're not okay with it. We're not going to bow down to it. We're going to equip our kids. I want to remind those of you who are new, we've had so many hundreds of new families over the last year. If you want to know more about Live It Well, and we want you to more, know more about Live It Well, tomorrow night here at the church, we've got a, a, a gathering. You've been given invites, um, and we're going to have dessert. Um, and at that gathering, we're going to be sharing the vision for Live It Well for those of you who haven't heard it. So you can get all kinds of um, questions answered. This Friday is Work is Worship. You say, why is that such a big deal? Why do you guys keep emphasizing that? Well, so that people don't have this separation between the things we believe and we stand for at church and the things we believe and stand for where we work. So that in workplaces, if we stand for things like honesty and hard work and, and fairness and, and justice and all those things, it has potential to transform the thing that we think is secular into our life to the most spiritual part of our life. And that's coming this Friday. See, everything we're trying to do is to help people so that they're equipped to stand 
in these days where there's a lot of evil out there. You know, the story ends with Mordecai being put in a position of authority. Listen to verse 2 of chapter 10, skipping way ahead. It said, A full account of the high honor Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of the Medes and the Persians. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Azarus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. Listen to this. For he sought the welfare of his people... And he spoke peace to all his people. And so during that time, which seemed like evil was the most profound, was more difficult, the people of God took a stand. They wouldn't bow down, and the entire story turned. And now what you have is the kind of leader we need, not the one that we deserve. We get a leader who's willing to take a stand and to work for the welfare of his people. And we'll see how the rest of that story plays out in weeks to come. And so this week, what I want to do is I want to challenge you as next steps Use your devotion. Ask deeply what it would mean for you to be a person who examines their life and saying, you know, there's some things I'm bowing down to that I don't want to bow down to anymore. There's some things that I can't imagine Christ bowing down to. Maybe there's something God has specifically put in your life, in your heart. You say, you know what, that's not all right. I'm supposed to get involved with that. Maybe it's related to one of our ministry partners who's here. But, but that's a, a step you can take when you let God break your heart for the things that break his. Maybe for you it looks like work is worship or hidden in plain sight. But whatever it is, there's a step that you could take to know and become like Christ. I'm going to invite the team to come out, and I'm going to go ahead and have a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that um, although we live in a world where evil raises its head, that we have a, a roaring lion of an enemy who roars, you are greater than this one. Father, I thank you that you do your greatest work through your people when they come together and in solidarity stand and they oppose dark things, evil things, broken things. Father God, I thank you for your church here in the Chippewa Valley and and throughout the ages that has stood and been a haven for people who um, just need the encouragement to follow you, to know you and become like you. Father, I just thank you for the things you're doing in the lives of your church that we as a people are taking steps to just see your name and your influence and the good for all people to be spread further and further. Father, just thank you that you've included us in our work, in your work. And Father, help us, Father, to just um, just take great comfort in the fact that you are leading us in this. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.